I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today, we have Miss Alexandra Roxo on the podcast. And what a lovely conversation. I love that we just like continue to expand our circle. We bring in all these amazing, intelligent, soulful, feeling, depthy women. And I just feel like the circle, the community gets bigger. <laughs> yeah, I love her. I think there's something about just a really brilliant, soulful woman that just like makes me like, yeah, <laughs> since mm-hmm. we were talking, there's so much about her embodied state of being that I just found really inspiring and exciting. She's speaking. Yeah. Shout out to uh, my friend, Sophie Jaffe for introducing me to her work because I've been yeah. kind of following her for the last year and I've been very excited for her new book to come out. So that's why we got her on here today. So her new book, Dare to Feel, A Transformational Path of the Heart, is actually today. It's her pub date today. We're recording this. So you should go check that out. Um, but she's also the best-selling author of Fuck Like a Goddess, Heal Yourself, Reclaim Your Voice, Stand in Your Power. And um, yeah, she's got a podcast and she does a lot of like one-on-one stuff. She's she's amazing. She's a force for sure mm, to be reckoned with. Yeah. Enjoy the conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We're so excited that you joined us today, Alexandra. So excited. So excited. Your book is beautiful. And we want to dive right in and have a juicy conversation with you about it. And we'll tell you, the listeners, all about it in a minute. Um, But, you know, I guess the first thing that we always start with with all of our guests is really just like a how did you get here, right? Like, how did you become who you are? Take us through that journey um, to kind of land us in the moment, the present moment. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's actually my pub day today that we're filming this. So I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's it's kind of feels fun to be able to sit and hang out with you all. And you're my talk show for today. You're my good morning. (laughs) Good morning, America. Um, (laughs) I don't even know. I don't even know that show anymore, but you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Yeah. So you know, I was thinking about this actually when I was in the shower, it was uh, just a few minutes ago, but I had this beautiful gift from my mom of being introduced to my spiritual path at a young age and mm-hmm. partially like my dad's Brazilian and my parents divorced when I was five. And so I went through spending kind of half time with dad and time in Brazil with the Catholic family and then time with my mom in Georgia with a very Protestant Southern Christian um, kind of family. But my mom was like sort of secret, like had Louise Hay books on her shelf and like was very like 90s new agey and and partially because she had wounds to heal and she had life experiences and traumas to heal. And so she was in pursuit of that at a young age. And so you know, I was listening to Carolyn Mace and Louise Hay in the car with her when I was a kid, you know, and I got introduced to my first spiritual mentor when I was 12. And he was this incredible man who was in Tennessee on a farm called the Rainbow Crest Farm. And he had like long white hair and he was a medium. So he could kind of speak to the other side and he, over the years, many people wanted to interview him for TV and all this stuff. And he always said, no, he really wanted to just keep his practice really, um, outside of the kind of fame and fortune and like sparkly Hollywood kind of a thing. But we knew kind of that lots of celebrities went to him and it was just like this hush hush thing. And he would have a waiting list for two years out of like people who wanted to sit with him. Anyway, he taught me about karma. He taught me about, um, you know, he was like, look, you came to this life. You have, um, he said, I had a dream last night. You came to this life and you're on a stage and you have all these rocks hanging off your body, these like heavy rocks. And I keep telling you, look, you're going to have to take those off one by one. It's going to take work, but that is your liberation. And so he taught me that at a young age. And I sort of began to understand my life through this spiritual context, which more I would look at as like my soul work. He was already teaching me about my soul work at a young age. He was like, yeah, this is what you're going through with your dad and your mom. And these are your spiritual lessons. Um, And so the context that I kind of came into my life with uh, was that, which was really awesome with the, um, you know, the, the Catholic side over here and like the Bible belt over here. So like the Catholic side, I would go to Brazil in the summers and I would like wear a little string bikini and like shake my booty and like with my cousins in Brazil. (laughs) Then I go back to Georgia and I would do that stuff and they'd be like, you're a sinner. (laughs) You know, I was taught that like, if I masturbated, if it was, it was a sin, you know, if I kissed a boy, it was a sin. So that like, I got these double indoctrinations, which was kind of a a, a part of the magic sauce of me that I have (laughs) both of those. Um, and then this kind of spiritual core. So throughout my, you know, twenties, I was really on my spiritual path, meditation, yoga, pursuing different spiritual lineages, all while expressing myself artistically. And I was in the film and TV world. I I actually went to NYU for film and TV, which I realized that learning how to express through your body, how to get rid of some of your 
let's say physical conditioning, your posture, Mm -hmm. your vocal tones, the faces that you make, all of that is very similar to what we do in healing context. And that was even happening as I learned my own practice of embodiment. It was like, Mm. I came into um, my teacher's room and it was like, where am I carrying my physical trauma? In my shoulders, in my voice, Mm. in my clamped jaw, right? And in order to be an artist and an actor at the time, I had to liberate myself from that um, one by one with a lot of practice. So I work with women now in doing very similar work, but in a healing context, they're not all actors, you know, but it's right. very similar. So, but I pursued like a film and TV career. I directed a web show called Be Here Now-ish that was really fun, got lots of press, got me, you know, big agents. We pitched it with Oscar winning producers, but it was a little ahead of its time because people weren't really familiar. I would, I was like going into HBO to pitch about the, the satirical side of meditation and Kundalini and ayahuasca and Tantra. <laughs> and this was like, you know, 12 years ago. And so the execs at HBO, they're kind of like, huh, that's hilarious. <laughs> But it hadn't caught on to the mainstream yet, right? Right. So, um, but, and I also like directed commercials for United Airlines for, gosh, terrible thing. Um, And eventually I was like, I had this kind of strong, like, ooh, it's time for me to change paths. Mm -hmm. And it actually came in an ayahuasca ceremony that I was sitting in for three nights. It was like, yeah, your work now is going to be in healing and more directly. You're not going to hide behind a script or a character or like, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't going to be just like a side part of your identity that you keep in the closet. And then like the, you know, marketing person from the ad agency comes up to you and goes, oh, I heard it's a full moon, you know, like, yeah, it's going to be because she knows like I'm the witchy one, you know, yeah. this is going to now be part of your public identity. And that was terrifying at the time because I thought, oh gosh, all the Hollywood people are going to think that I've gone nuts Mm -hmm. and like have fallen off my rocker. And, um, and then I made the transition and, and, and as I became more deeper into a space of working with women and healing around their bodies, sexuality, finding voice, all these kind of things, it flowed. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. you all know, like when something feels like in life, it flows, you're like, okay, maybe this is what it's meant to be. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I got here. And then I've been on this path for the last, I guess, since 2016. So yeah, the last eight years um, where I've been working with women um, in a healing context, one-on-one through coaching and mentorship, leading retreats, writing a lot about my own healing journey as an entree and a portal to invite Mm -hmm. people into discussing theirs too. Mm, I love it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So many things. I, okay, I, I hope that, that wasn't too long. That was like, no. <laughs> perfect. There's just so much about what you said that's already exciting me. And well, first of all, I'm so struck by your mother having these mm-hmm. teachers that you're being exposed to at such a young age. And there's a little bit of like a closeted element. I think, you know, something I talk a lot about is like, there were years where I was a yoga teacher and I never said the word God because I didn't want to act and activate people in the wrong space who weren't ready to. I don't know, have conversations in the way that you're describing. And something I think about a lot because I'm a vegetarian is like, you know how like children who have parents that are vegetarians will go through a period where they're like, no, I'm going to eat meat. And then a lot of times they will like return to it later in life. And I'm curious if you feel like there was a point where you just did a lot of 
questioning around what you were exposed to so early or if you felt like there was like a reckoning that you had with like, I don't know if these like fundamental truths feel true for me or if I need Mm -hmm. to go on like a discovering something different for myself. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Like that differentiation process, right? It's like, okay, like do I need to go carve my own way and and see what's true for me? And I feel like I did that with Christianity because Mm – that was such a big part of my life growing up. Um, and so I did get to kind of explore what is Christ consciousness? Like, is this book, the Bible, even a real thing? Or is this a bunch of stories that some dudes came together and wrote? Um, so I went through my own journey with that for sure. And I have gone through my own journey more in the mo- more in the recent years around kind of new age practices and like what's beneficial, what's not, what's mm-hmm. actually you know, bypassing and completely disembodied. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that like, I've, I'm like, ugh, you know, Louise Hayes, a hack or something like that. I still feel like she's amazing because she had really intense childhood trauma. Like she's one of those people that transformed like the dark, dark, right. Of deep childhood sexual abuse into her whole healing journey. Is, are there problems in the new age space? Absolutely. Like tons mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but so I've had to kind of look at that. And more recently, when I felt like the wellness world, it like was really loving and accepting to me to look at, wow, am I now a part of this kind of like club that feels a little bit exclusive or super white or that those kind of things. And that was, you know, the kind of my recent journey. So I would say in my early twenties, yeah, I was asking about Christianity and like, like, am I a Christian? I grew up Christian. Now I wouldn't identify with that though. I mm-hmm. like recently just did a beautiful Mary Magdalene pilgrimage in France while I was mm-hmm. pregnant. And I have a deep, deep love for a lot of Christian stories and mystics. Um, but I do think in the in the last, I would say, like little chunk of my spiritual path, it's been more of like what what practices in these different domains, even in like Tibetan Buddhism, which I've studied, feel true and act or which ones feel oppressive still. And how do I sit with that? And where do I find myself within that? So that had nothing to do with my mom, Danae. It's like more <laughs> of just like later on my journey. Um but I do think like the stuff that Bobby taught me when I was 12, it has stuck. Mm-hmm. I believe it a hundred percent. He's like, look, you got classrooms in this life for your soul. You're going to sit in them. Sometimes you're going to repeat them. I'm like, okay, got it. <laughs> God bless Bobby. Um, and you yeah. know, I feel curious about asking you a little bit more about spiritual bypassing because I feel like the time we're living in where there's so much polarization and just like othering happening, certainly on social media, all the places I'm I'm struck by something that you're saying that feels really true for me around so many of the spiritual teachers that have been so supportive of me in my journey. I think a lot of the principles that they speak to, I hear people describing as these are forms of spiritual bypassing. These are ways that people are not in the embodied experience of what it is to be alive. And what I think is challenging a lot of times is that I feel like there's a way that as we're sort of pointing the finger at people and saying what you're doing is bypassing there's a lot of like not allowing people to be in their process, meaning I'm sure there were points in my journey where I was bypassing something. And that's kind of where I needed to be a little Mm -hmm. bit because I wasn't ready to sort of be confronted with 
whatever I wasn't ready to be confronted with. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I actually have a story about this in in the book where I was called out for spiritual bypassing. It's one of the first ones and it actually inspired me writing. I'm this. glad you're talking um, about this because I actually had that written down as the one that is oh. the yoga story because I'm so interested to talk about this. <laughs> The the one where my teacher is like, you're hiding behind the mask. Hide your yeah. spirituality, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was young and I had found yoga and I felt like, oh, great. Like, I feel like I found a little home. I feel safe here. I'm going to wear all white. I'm going to like namaste. And, um, and my amazing shamanic, alchemical, Scorpio, uh, incredible teacher who's now a director in Hollywood and um, we're still really close 20 years later. She was like, called me out in front of a room full of people and was just like, you're hiding behind your spirituality. What's underneath? Mm-hmm. The way she worked with me is the way, I, not with that same languaging or intensity, but is it has informed the way that I've worked with women. Um, but at the time, I didn't, I didn't have the resource to look at some of my childhood trauma. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you said, like, Sometimes we have to find something. It's like a a handrail. Like it's like we're crossing a river and we need Mm -hmm. something to get us to the other side. I felt so, oh, yoga, meditation, this is super helpful. I did not have the capacity at that time. I was a baby, you know, I was 18, 19 to go, wait a minute. I've been through things that are, you know, reasons that I am, let's say, a little bit more closed down or that... Mm -hmm my body is in a, in a particular way or that emotionally I don't feel safe or, or that I have trouble making, letting people into a certain, whatever those things were that I've acknowledged in the last 20 years of life and therapy and love Mm -hmm. and all of it. But at the time, yeah, spirituality was, was the, that kind of guardrail that helped me to keep walking forward and feel safe. And that I do think we all have our own journeys, like a hundred percent. Like I, it was, mine was embarrassing a great many times. I got on all kinds of high horses when I was young, my spiritual high horses. And like, God, I just was so obnoxious with my parents about like eating organic. And that was not, not a spiritual high horse, but I'd be like, you cannot shop at Walmart, you know? And it's like, (laughs) um, we do that stuff in different ways. And so uh, yeah. I'm not going to go back and go, oh, I, that was wrong. I was just, I was just where learning, you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Jack sure Kornfeld, have the same thoughts. Yeah. Jack Kornfeld always has this funny story where he's like, he'll say something like, if Jesus of Nazareth went home to visit his parents, you don't think they would treat him like Jesus Christ. Like they would be like, listen, don't talk to me like you're above me. Like you're still my kid. Right. Or, you know, or Siddhartha or any of these. It's like, you know, we, we go home and we try to bring our stuff with us. And most of the time our family of origin is like, yeah, no, <laughs> back up with right. that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this it's interesting. This I'm glad that you spoke about that that story because I actually similar to what you were thinking today. I, I had starred that because this concept of finding yoga as like a portal. I know for me was also my gateway into spirituality and connecting to self and all of these. And recently, we actually had a friend of ours sent us um, this TikTok that we were talking about, and this woman was making this really interesting point around how a lot of the spiritual practices that we all know and um, you know we read and we take in um, have been written by, documented by, practiced by men. Right. And she was talking about, and you should, you'll understand this as a new mother, specifically being a mother 
and what spirituality mm. looks like as a mother and how that's so much different than and has never been captured by let's say 99% of the spiritual teachers that we know, right? And so she was saying, you know, even this concept of like um, meditating twice a day for 20 minutes, right? I know for me, the last few years, I have beat myself up so hard for losing my really rigid meditation practice once becoming a mother. And what she was saying is anybody who's a new mother would have said in any of those spiritual books, that's not possible. It's not realistic. My meditation is now breastfeeding. My meditation is now creating meals for my family. My meditation is now in the garden, right? And it just really opened my eyes to how I just have never thought about it in that way. And I, I guess I kind of lessened some of the shame for me. I love that. And it's something I talk about and teach about as well. And I've, it's been a huge part of my path because when I was back in my namaste whites, you know, I was treating my body and my practice more as like that ascetic, right? Mm. Yogic way, which is not for the feminine form. I just um, had uh, an interview and a chat with this woman, Brett Larkin, who uh, is a yoga teacher. And she was saying that yoga was really meant for, um, young boys who are going to become monastics and then men who are leaving their jobs and becoming or like ready to kind of pass on. <laughs> and so it was like nowhere in there was it really for like just household people in a way back, back, back in the day. And, um, and I thought about it so many times. I mean, when I was in my first yogic community, that was like pretty intense. They were communal. They lived together and like sh shared communal clothes. It was kind of cultish, but I didn't join the cult. One of many cults I almost joined, but didn't. <laughs> um, but we weren't allowed to sit on meditation cushions mm -hmm. and we were meditating in caves in Italy, like where St. Francis has meditated. And one time I was starting my period and I had the most insane cramps and I was cold and I'm sitting on this rock floor. And what I would do is I would put on like two extra sweaters. And then right before we all started to meditate, I would take them off and like try to make a cushion mm -hmm. because my feminine body was not meant to just like the, I should be laying down. I should, be, you know, so it was uh, when I was younger, I would treat myself as if, oh, I could be that kind of yogi. And then I was like, fuck that. I got into a lot more kind of earth-based feminine um, sp spiritual traditions. And um, that was a huge part of my journey as well in my 20s. It was just like, okay, I've explored that. What about over here where we're mm -hmm. like using our little diva cups and we're putting blood on our, you know, plants with water. This was, you know, my 20 year old self and, you know, bl free bleeding and doing rituals under the moon. And I mean, I would gather women in, in my yard and at, when I was in my early twenties and even in New York city, like I was like, it's women's day. We're going to all do a ritual around the Krishna tree. And, you know, so my, my own spiritual path ended up becoming more embodied more based in more inclusive to my feminine form to my rhythms and cycles and that's just been such an important part of my work too now is like yeah maybe it's not about meditation sitting quietly the work i do with women we're usually like you know thrashing about moaning and crying and screaming and moving in our sensual body and we're using writing as an embodied creative mm -hmm. spiritual practice um and and that i always tell the women that i work with i'm like look this is not one lineage this is not one tradition i'm not trained in this yoga thing i decided not to take refuge with many buddhist teachers like i have studied with these people i have gone to these places but i still like you said i still don't 
don't see that there's like some spiritual tradition out there that is inclusive of my feminine form in a really beautiful way. And so I'm going to keep dancing. I'm going to keep writing poetry. I'm going to keep crying. I'm going to keep screaming. I'm going to keep making love. I'm going to keep making amazing foods. And that's Mm -hmm. all going to be part of my feminine practice. And that's Mm -hmm. very different. And that is, I think this also, this really beautiful distinction is like, what the feminine practice includes the heart. Now, mm-hmm. I'd like that to extend to everybody, but imagine the grandmothers teaching us. If our grandmothers had been free to be, you know, in that kind of more, let's say, earth based, witchy space, which our ancestors probably were, like imagine them teaching us. That mm-hmm. would have been so full of love and heart, right? Like it's so I, I, you know, I think that we're returning to that. Many people are like, oh, okay. Like, like you said, what if my practice is nursing right now? I feel like my morning meditation when my daughter's napping on me for two hours Mm -hmm. like that, I just love sitting in that love with her and just being Mm -hmm. quiet. I'm like, don't take this away from me. Um, But yeah, it's a big journey. I think for people when they find a spiritual path, especially women, and then to go, wait a minute, where's the embodied feminine here? Like, how does she live here? How does love run through my body? Like, where's my sensuality? Like, is that a spiritual practice? Um, And there's just so much there, so much rich richness for each of us, which extends past our, you know, feminine form into all humans. But it does start with us. Like, if we're not embodying that, then we can't necessarily walk through life um, transmitting that. So we have to reclaim it in ourselves first. Yeah, just love that. And I, I was having a realization, even as you were speaking of like, what if our grandmothers um, were teaching us some of these practices? And I think I felt so struck by that because a lot of times I think it is almost like we skip the generation of our mothers are still like in a very like hustle culture or like, you know, striving way for a lot of us. We grew up that way, but our grandmothers had slowed down enough that they were sort of coming in remem- into the space of remembrance of their feminine Mm-hmm. And there was just like so much um, like permission giving around like who you are, mm-hmm. I think, with our grandmothers. Like I, I kind of felt that in my body as you were mm. speaking to it. And there's so many of the questions in your book, Alexander, like I highlighted, like there's like a way that you just give permission. <laughs> I can read like mm. the questions that you ask and like the reflections are like reflect on a time when you express your truth even if it was messy or intense and it was actually a gift to the people around you. Like, I don't know why, like even reading those words made me feel emotional mm-hmm. because I think there's just such a, like, I don't want to be messy. Like I got to figure this out like somewhere mm-hmm. where I'm not going to be a burden to people. Like I hear that constantly from clients. And then so much of the time I have found when I'm my most messy, when I'm like exposing the dark, ugly bits or when I'm most of service to other people. And I think there's something in that that is just so healing to to remind people of, right? Like, can you remember those times when you're actually supporting others by being in that what I would call maybe our feminine, wild, messy truth, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I think we have these cultural collective wounds of like repression and getting it right and perfectionism and all these things that really hinder us from being fully expressed or being intimate Mm -hmm. and connected to one another, right? It's like, if I'm trying to get it right all the time with my partner, I'm in my head, Mm -hmm. I'm not in the present moment with him. I'm thinking about like how I could do it better instead of trying to drop into some feeling and express it. 
Now, I think a lot of us are being conscious. And so we think, well, I don't want to then go back to being unconscious where I'm just mm. spurting my rage at my partner, right? Like, but what happens is, is like, there's a journey of, okay, now I'm conscious. Oh, I'm angry. So I could just be in my head trying to figure out how to be angry correctly, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, or I could trust that I have a certain level of awareness now and express from that place openly, which is embarrassing. Cause it's like, I mean, I say embarrassing in air quotes. So it's like, okay, but now I'm like a civilized gal and like, I've right. got a handle on my emotions and I've done all this therapy, but now I'm sitting here and I'm intellectualizing everything. And right. that's not very sexy or very intimate or very juicy or loving. So could I instead go, yeah, I'm feeling a lot of anger and then just drop into my heart and an expression of that, like, ah, mm. ah, I'm so frustrated mm. instead of, well, I'm really angry at you because I told you I don't like it when you did, did, did you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, there is this part of our embodied like what I wrote in that, in that prompt, it's like, that's a gift. It's a gift that mm -hmm. calls my partner or my best friend into their body by me showing the emotion through my mm -hmm. form instead of just talking about it. You know, it you takes know, practice. I mean, it takes practice. Oh my God. Yeah. The first version of that, the first example is my almost four-year-old. That's her. That's exactly what she sounds like when she's frustrated, Which, the way she communicates the... Oh, I'm so frustrated. Right. And this is, I mean, I'm going to try to articulate what's coming up for me because I think what's really difficult, not just for myself, but I know for a lot of mothers is when they get to that age and they communicate frustration, mostly <laughs> through whining, right? It's, that's like the number one way that they tend to communicate is through the whine. And I think societally, culturally, we have you know, we weren't allowed to do that. It's very repressed in us. I have a very, I mean, I will speak for myself. I have a very hard time with her when she's in that space, right? I want her to communicate clearly. I want her to cut that shit out. I want her to, you know, be rational, all of these things, because it's overwhelming for me. It's flooding for me, right? It, it, it overwhelms my nervous system. Um, but I love what you're saying about that way of expressing is actually a very embodied way of expressing, right? And I think for a lot of us, we're trying to come back to who we were at four years old. I mean, that's so many of the practices mm -hmm. we're doing, right? I know, I know for me, when I talk to clients regularly, I'll say to them, you know, I use this term, like bring somebody along on the process, like bring them in on the process when you're experiencing something. And rather than saying, like you said, oh, I'm so angry. Let me tell you why. It's more like, my stomach is clenched. My teeth are clenched. My face is hot. Like get into the sensation of it because a lot of times dropping into the sensation will bring us into that space of I'm so angry because <laughs> a lot of right. times we don't even know I'm angry. I have no idea I'm angry. I just know that my teeth are clenched and my face is hot. Right. Mm. So can you go, can you go yeah. that way? It's not like another yeah. portal, I guess. I love that because what you're doing is you're bringing yourself into the feeling and you're using words to get into the feeling. And then once you're in the feeling, you can feel it safely in the container of your marriage or wherever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that is the practice that is healing for most, for many of us is how do I get into that feeling safely, identifying it and then being with it, not yeah. thinking through it, not intellectualizing and not analyzing it. And, you know, I've had to work on this so much because like you guys, I'm a smart woman. 
You know, I can like justify, I can be in a fight with my partner and be like, well, let me tell you why you're wrong. Truly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, you know, it's that silly adage. Would you rather be, you know, right or with whatever the other option is, would you rather be love, happy. right? It's so happy. <laughs> whatever. Right yeah. happy. These are um, my choices. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it's had to be like a crucible of my ego getting like just squashed to be like, okay, I, I'm not going to be right. And I'm just going to feel, and I'm just going to let the tears drop out of my eyes. And so my partner can be invited into like, Danae, you were saying that little piece that I wrote, invited into the experience. And that brings them into their bodies. And then we're intimately connected. Whereas if I withhold those tears, maybe because I don't know they're there waiting for me or I can't find them, then we stay potentially disconnected. And it's hard and it's messy. And I don't, I don't succeed at this obviously all the time, you know, and I don't think anybody does, but to have a practice where we try to do that with the people that we love or at least in our intimate relationships. And for me, you know, the kind of the dyadic relationship with masculine feminine has its own particular flavor. My partner, it offers him something that he may not be able to offer me as often in the same way, because I have a really great access to my soft heart and my tears and my mm. vulnerabilities. So it's also, that's part of the gift giving, let's say for him is that my tears become an invitation where then he wants to hold me and like, be like, oh, I'm here versus my right. sharp words. The words I get really sharp, let's say. <laughs> when- same, same girl. <laughs> <laughs> But I think what you're saying is so important and I want to like stay here for just a second with the distinction because what I find so often, certainly within myself, but with so many of the couples that I work with is that we do the intellectual conversation around what's happening or where you are not meeting my needs as a way I find to defend against really dropping into the felt experience of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of that ends up being a little of what you were saying, V, that like we were so shamed for the bigness of our feelings that it's like, I need you to justify why I feel this, or I need Ooh, you, your yes. buy-in for me to feel feelings, right? And mm-hmm. if you and if I can't get your buy-in, then I, I don't get to feel, right? But mm. there's something, and you're not even like saying the words, there's just like an embodied experience of the way you're describing it, Alexandra, that's like, I am with myself in these feelings. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm not right. looking for your validation. Right. I'm just, feeling all of this and that that becomes in like almost a, I want, I want you to say it like, um, an invitation is what I love the word, but But if you have another one, yeah, no, but I think that's, that's real. What you're saying is like, it's an invitation to your partner to get back into that innate sense of like knowing how to be present with you versus like, I'm going to like convince you or shame you or <laughs> criticize the way you're doing life, which I find just like shuts the partner down and then they're just defending themselves, you know? Totally. I find this a lot in the car. Um, so we have a lot of car dynamics in my relationship. <laughs> like, I'm like, it's been since the beginning. And so at first I'd be like, Hey, you're driving too fast. Like you're driving past the speed limit. It's too fast, you know? And for years, I would correct, try to correct, try to correct, you know, like using my judgment and like my right or wrong. Now I just go, I'm scared because <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah. am scared underneath it. And I'll say, oh, I'm scared. And, and <laughs> I feel completely juvenile and silly, you know, mm-hmm. but it is the truth. It's like, I am actually scared that we're going to get into an accident. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could, you know, and, and it's, 
I give women permission. I'm like, look, give yourself permission to get a little dramatic, right? Like mm. you're not doing this. We're not doing it in the four-year-old way because we have consciousness, awareness. We have a different kind of cognitive understanding than they do. So it may look like that, but we're aware and we're making a choice around it. And so I tell that to women. I'm like, if I'm working with a woman and she's trying to help her express something, you know, sensual or anger or something, I'm like, okay, that's a level two. Like, what does your level 10 look like? And let's mm. play with that range for you. And, and let's, and, and there are people, everybody has their edge, right? It's mm -hmm. just like someone's edge is like someone's 10 is someone's two and vice versa. Yeah. And, but I think that a lot of us can use the practice of ex ex stretching it open a little bit more um, with awareness, right? We're not like throwing plates at our, you know, husbands for fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Even though sounds we want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had like a visceral reaction when you said you had to bring it to a 10. I felt my body be like, oh, nope, nope. Don't want to do that. Yeah. Don't want to go to right. a 10, right? And I was thinking how that word dramatic was used as such an insult and such a way to kind of control me and my emotions when I was little. And I know for a lot of us girls, women, it was. Um, and so even hearing the word like, oh, we need to get dramatic, it just brings up such a visceral response, right? Because I just hear my yeah. mom over and over and over again telling me, stop being so dramatic, you know, stop being so dramatic yeah. and all those words. And yeah. it's really hard to go back to what a lifetime of kind of shaming us out of this thing, you know? Totally. And when I'm like doing practices with women and it's like, I'm asking them to express, I'll walk around and I'll say, I'll, I'll say like, you know, if I was your partner, I would have no idea what's going on inside of you. Like, what if you turn it up a little bit and a little mm -hmm. bit, um, so that we learn to get back into our bodies, to get back into the expression that we've been shamed out of, or that we've been intellected out of, right. We've been mm -hmm. sort of praised as Western, maybe American women or whatever. We've been praised of being smart and together and da, 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 da. I mean, I will use different kind of archetypal. I know you guys have that kind of depth psychology background, but I'll use different archetypal expressions to help women get into some of these parts and pieces that maybe are already a little bit expressed in a way that is different than we're not usually allowed. And that can be really fun and helpful and um, mm. kind of freeing in a way, which mm. brings in my acting background too. But it takes practice. I mean, I still find myself totally going stone face and a moment of pain or sadness. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, wow, my partner has no idea what's going on inside of me, you know? And sometimes that's, that's all I got. <laughs> You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes then I, I can, I can have one deep breath where I go, Oh, and then he can feel me a little bit, you know, and mm. that's just one, one step. So that's like, if you think about the range of like closure, heart is not expressed. I'm in, I'm in fear or some sort of a trauma response or whatever it is to, I can take a breath, make mm. just a little sound mm. to then two years later, I was like, ah! you're the four-year-old <laughs> but it's also sexy i think at a certain point you know <laughs> maybe not whining but like the expression you know <laughs> yeah i love that you give access points or 
entry points to give people access to this, women access to this? Because I think Vanessa and I run a lot of retreats and, you know, I would say there was certainly a period for me where I had realized like, I've been repressing so much. And I was like in my like wild feminine, like I'm going to be naked all the time and I don't give a shit. Everybody can. And Vanessa was like, Dume, you're scaring people. Like you got the mic. <laughs> A little bit, but I think that it can feel a little bit destabilizing to jump right into the like, just feel, don't care, like make a mess, like whatever. And I think I love the way you speak to you. Can we use some of these archetypal stories or images or ways of playing with like a little step in that direction so mm -hmm. it doesn't feel just so jarring in the way that some of us might be jarring to others? <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I have like a, a cringy. I don't know like, what you're talking eh. about today. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I, it can be, it can become performative, right? Yeah. It can become um, also not honoring of every woman's experience because. Mm. Not every woman wants to get naked on a retreat, you know, like <laughs> I've never got, I've never gotten naked on a retreat. But then last year we, I offered like a, we're going to go swimming in this river if you feel inspired, but it's no pressure, you know, mm. and I thought, God, this is the first time I'm bringing nudity into a retreat experience. But what I did was I had people be in pairs, like kind of dispersed. So it wasn't like, just like everyone, you know, I don't know. My partner was like, me and the men go naked, cold plunging every day. And I was Aww. like, oh. I was this like, okay, fine. We're, we're going to do some cool naked stuff too. Um, but it, en it ended up being that like there was a, a, enough of safety because mm -hmm. it was like the fourth day of retreat. There was enough space and privacy that pe everyone ended up getting naked. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that, but I would never want to force someone that, you know, because it, or force someone to feel really big feelings if it, relates to their trauma. And I did, I mean, I definitely encouraged women at a certain time. And I had a great client was like, I, it's not safe for me to feel this. And I was like, mm. what do you mean? At that time, I hadn't really studied enough kind of trauma informed conversation. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's sweet. That client is still a friend of mine and she's a therapist. And she taught me that in that moment of like, mm. you can't force a woman to open past yeah. or too quickly, or it's like, making love or something. You can't force mm -hmm. yourself to just boom, be open. Like it may just be like, Oh, just a little. Um, mm. and that titration is important as well, especially if we don't know why someone has closed, right. Whether it's in love or as a facilitator, it's like, well, I don't know what someone is holding, why their heart is closed or why their body is closed. And so I can offer again, like invitations and opportunities to open a little, a little, but that also honor different people's experiences in the room. Um, I love that. Yeah. I use the image when and I for start the record. Sorry. Yeah, not trying no, to. I've never gotten naked, naked on retreat. I just don't want to be scared of coming to our retreats. Please continue, V, but I don't get naked, people. That's true. Don't be scared. Come to our retreat. Dramatic. Danae's not forcing anybody to get naked. Don't worry. You will not be forced to get naked. Please carry on. I'm sorry. There are some retreats where that happens, though. That's true. Not, yeah, that none true. of us here. Yeah. None of us. No forcing to get naked. Don't worry. Um, no, I was just saying, I was thinking about how in the beginning of my relationships with clients, I always, the image I always use is, you know, especially people have never done any kind of processing or therapy work. 
And I always say like, you know, there's so much fear when people come in because there's this image. I say it's like this overly stuffed suitcase. There's this fear that people have that you're going to reach in and get the thing on the bottom and you're going to pull it out and then the whole thing's going to explode, right? And I always say, I'm like, that's not how we do this. We start from the top mm. and we fold things and we put them away. And then eventually we will get to the stuff that's in the bottom of the suitcase, but we're not just going to reach in and grab it and yank it out because mm. that's not helpful. It just makes a huge mess. Everything explodes everywhere, right? And then you got to clean it up. And when I use wow. that image, I find people really like, oh, okay, that I can handle. Mm. You know, it's like I can go there. Now I'm, now I'm looking forward to getting in there and getting into the bottom because it's going to be a process. And I know that you've got it contained and I know that you know what you're doing, you know? So it's, it's like, we're, we're, the end goal is the same, but there's a process in which we get there that feels safe and containing. Yeah. I think that's, that's the responsible way to mm -hmm. do it. And I mean, I see people blowing themselves open. I mm -hmm. have to, to myself at different moments, but especially like with psychedelics and plant medicines, mm -hmm. just like going straight to the bottom yeah. of that suitcase and then kind of getting shot out back into their life. Like, mm -hmm. what? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I definitely feel like the lasting work for me as well has been like, the slow and steady um, mm. with like a mentor who's just tracking the nuance with me as well um, and not asking me to just blow past edges all the time. Yeah. And it's a balance. I mean, a little, yep. a little edge play. Push, a little push. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, so just a question straight out of the book, because I think this is really important yeah. for people to hear you say, you know, why are emotions part of the spiritual path? Like, I think this is really important. I know we've been talking about it in our own way, but I kind of want to give people a very pointed answer to that because I think this is like one of the crux, the crux of your book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I see emotions as part of the essential language of connection and love, mm -hmm. which is part of our embodied experience, right? Like we're here in an interrelational dimension, if you will, of connection emotions hold a lot of energy. We all know that we can attest to that. So we can spend a life avoiding them, or we can become artful with them and use them as tools to access a deeper place within ourselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of the tantric spiritual traditions, and I'm not, I'm differentiating tantric between neo-tantric, which is like sort of modern Western um, co-opting and mm -hmm. shifting around of tantra for a sexual kind of experience. But the, a lot of the, the ancient tantric lineages that originated in Tibet and India and in the East, um, part of the emotional experience coming into spirituality is dealing with energy that is charged, that is difficult, right? So it's like, it, it's like that phrase of emotions being like wild horses. So mm -hmm. we can either try to avoid those or we become artful at working with them, letting them open us feeling them, pouring them into our life as art and letting that be a vehicle to awakening. Pema Children talks about this a ton. So mm -hmm. she talks about emotions as a huge part of the spiritual path, not being attached to them, you know, not getting kind of, let's say, possessed by them, but also letting them open you, letting them take you to a place being with them in a certain way. And especially, and, and this is something that she talks about, like having a broken, open heart. So letting mm -hmm. that grief open your heart and be a way that then you connect to all of humanity, the universality of human experience, right? We feel that through emotions, the empathy that we can cultivate. We can't feel empathy for each other or compassion for each other if we can't feel. 
and if we can't feel right. our life and ourselves. So it becomes a spiritual tool and a part of a spiritual path. And I, I, there's another great spiritual teacher who created the Gene Keys, Richard Rudd. He says in one of his books, he has this, this um, kind of sequence called the Venus sequence, and it's a path of opening the heart. Um, and he says there's two path, two essential spiritual paths. One is through meditation and one is through love. Mm -hmm. And that the meditation one is the one we were talking about that was the more traditionally masculine path. To me, the path of love is in another way that we deeply awaken to, I'm you and you're me. And like, there is no separation here. If I'm feeling myself and if I have the capacity to feel into you, then how could I hurt you? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's something that I feel like is so necessary on our planet. And that right. isn't a skill that we've been taught, you know, beyond, uh, beyond all the kind of spiritual stuff, just our capacity to feel compassion and empathy for each other and not to be separate. So I, I guess it's a complex answer to how the emotions kind of factor into our spiritual path and into our path of love and connection with each other. But learning to be artful with them and not afraid of them, mm -hmm. to me, is so important and so fun and exciting. Like the greatest art that we've all experienced is full of emotion. Mm -hmm. The soul's journey, right, is marked by these emotional realms, the dips into grief and the, you know, escalations into ecstasy and joy. So when we hold back or withhold or avoid those places because we're scared. We are avoiding our life and avoiding love and avoiding our soul's work, which not everybody cares about, but I do. Um, and, and so if you look at your life, like a song, like what are those tones and textures that you're living into? And I always love, it's like, the language of your soul is going to come through in those moments, right? When mm. you're weeping and laughing and loving, um, maybe not, maybe when you're ideating and an analyzing, but, <laughs> um, you know, those usually aren't the ones that we record on our inner kind of map of our life. It's like the ones that we can deeply feel. So mm. why aren't we turning towards that every day? Totally. Uh. Alexandra, you are an absolute treasure. I'm so <laughs> thrilled to make your acquaintance. Um, thank you. Yeah, and I thank just you don't sit here me. and listen to you speak for hours. <laughs> I want to be mindful of our time. So I'm going to um, jump into our lightning round of questions. Um, okay. The first question that we always ask is who have been your greatest teachers, whether they are people, you spoke to it a little bit, but people who you've really appreciated their work or people who um, have impacted your path from knowing them. Well, so I mentioned Bobby and then Deborah Kampmeyer, who was a teacher of mine at NYU and she's now a TV and uh, film director and producer in Hollywood. Um, but also some of the writers, David Data's work has been really important to mm -hmm. me. My partner, um, my partner worked with him for eight years and studied with him and, and his mm -hmm. work has been really important. Um, Marion Woodman, who I know you guys know, mm -hmm. uh, her work has been really important to me. Um, a lot of the poets and the mystical poets definitely deeply impacted. I mean, I got lots of that, but I'll leave those at that. Yeah. I love it. 
So we talk sometimes about this concept of, you know, some might call it flow. Um, some might call it, you know, tapping into that higher state. Um, what, what does flow look like for you, right? Like, what are you doing when you find that you're so aligned that you kind of lose track of everything? These days, sensual movement and dance. Like mm-hmm. I've been, I grew up dancing and ballet and like I was strict kind of for a long time. And then um, I've just reclaimed my practice of finding my sensuality through movement the last few years. I mean, I was always a wild dancer from the samba to booty shanking in Atlanta, Georgia when I was 12, you know, um, that's how I got asked to prom by a senior. Um, <laughs> I was a freshman. <laughs> so I've always found God through shaking my booty. Um, but it's come back again. Mm-hmm. I had to sort of reevaluate my relationship to my sexuality and, and kind of, you know, do a lot of healing in that regard. So then it felt like, ooh, am I ready to dive back into that type of expression? Well, now it's private. I do it at home. I'm not posting those kind of things and like whatever. But I do find that um, I'm just going into like these yummy, deep, pleasurable states through mm-hmm. sensual movement and dance. And I'm bringing that into my teaching too. And it's so beautiful to take our bodies out of the rigidity that we experience mm-hmm. just like sitting at the computer all the time. So yeah, definitely going into that. Yeah. I love that. I just went to go visit a girlfriend of mine recently and we had like one of those, let's be 20 years old again and go out dancing all night. And mm. it was so healing. And so, I mean, oh my God, I, I just for days I was buzzing and I was just so in my body. And, but it was that, it was like that sensual, you know, shake your booty kind of dancing, but it was just her and I, and it was just, oh, cannot express how healing it was to do. Amazing. Totally. Yeah. We can't become too like sort of smart and like polished that we forget to do that roll around on the floor together. (laughs) And what breaks your heart, Alexandra? I mean, I sit and contemplate, especially when I'm just sitting all these hours with my daughter breastfeeding or she's asleep on me, just how, like, what is evil and how does it exist and what Mm. do we do about it? And what do we do about these people that are so hurt that they bring about so much violence onto others? And like, why has it happened throughout time? Like, Like, did it ever start? where people started doing it and it, it, or has it always been a part of human nature to like rape and kill? And it's mind boggling to me when I think about the existential nature of good and evil and like, if there's a way out of it, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what my life is, is, is geared towards that. There is a way out of it. Like I promise people let's heal. Let's, let's make sure we're not passing on our traumas and our addictions and all of these things. And so I'm like, is what is the nature of this, you know? And I, I just, it's terrifying being a parent and just Mm -hmm. feeling the contrast on this planet of the most dark, evil, painful realities that I can't hold in my body, you know, and then the most beauty. And I I mean that, yeah, that's the most perplexing thing that I I cannot Mm -hmm. explain. I don't have an answer for. Mm -hmm. I just try to feel as much as I can without um, hurting myself. Yeah. And, um, when I get to the other side, I have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. Okay. So the final question is what is your favorite food? Oh, you guys, I 
had not have not eaten oysters in approximately one year because <laughs> I was pregnant, well, pregnant and then I gave birth. <laughs> and today, since it's my pub day, do you know what my man did last night? He drove to buy oysters, a bushel of oysters. So right now in the fridge are oysters on ice, which he will be shucking for me with some oh, champagne to, to oysters and champagne. <laughs> yeah, that's like my, my jam, which obviously I didn't have for a very long time. <laughs> Oysters oh, and yeah. champagne. That's a, we have not gotten that one yet. So <laughs> I look at food one. as part I mean, of my spirituality. So I think it's important to tap into Oh, that. it is. And they're very sensual oysters, mm -hmm. you know, and they have mm -hmm. lots of nutrients in them too. So highly recommend at some point, you know, you can have a fake champagne if you don't drink champagne, but to sit and, and sip and <laughs> sip and slurp. <laughs> well, well, Alexandra, I just, I feel like what a sacred invitation. I love the way that you speak to being in feelings and how did you say, um, artful, but not afraid. I think it's just, mm. there's so much about the way that you are showing up in the world and speaking and embodying so much of what you're talking about that is just really inspiring. So Thank you for coming and sharing some of that with us. Delighted to know you. And um, where can people? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But if people yeah. want some more, yeah, where can they get some more? Well, my book, Dare to Feel, is out. Please um, go buy it. The uh, audio version is me talking, and it's really fun. I had so much fun reading mm -hmm. that, and there's all these poems and things. So um, I would definitely get the audio. The written one, though, has lots of things for you to underline and fill in. So get both if you can. <laughs> My first book, Fuck, Fuck Like a Goddess, is also really a good book, a fun book. It's it's really um, – I'm proud of that one too. So, uh, And then I also have like a kind of limited edition podcast for Dare to Feel with some great people on it. I'm on Instagram. You can find me there at Alexandra Roxo. My website is also my name. I see clients one-on-one. -on -one. I do group mentorship and practice and retreats as well. So, yeah. Beautiful. Mm, thank you, thank so you all much. so much. This is a great conversation. really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 